Welcome into 241 Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of 241 Drafts, a rookies and draft prospects podcast. Today, we're going to recap the college football playoff national championship, Alabama, with a comfortable win over Ohio State. Didn't even cover the teaser like you hate to see that. Also going to preview the divisional round, look at those four games as we prepare for the week. And then lastly, two mock drafts to review. Dame Brugler of The Athletic did a two-round mock draft. And then our very own Anthony Trash, PFF underscore Anthony, did a new first-round mock draft for PFF.com. Going to rip into those a bit, look at some of the bold picks and notable picks in those. Let's get it. Buddy, do I have a story to rip for you mm. off the top of this podcast? People have been asking, where did the stories go? You know, I used to tell a lot of dating stories. I've been kind of out of the game for a little bit. Not trying. One, it's draft season. Two, dating in COVID sucks. Well, also, it's around the holidays. You know, let's let's go on a date right before Christmas. That doesn't That's really weird. work. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah, you yeah. got to buy her a present if it goes well. Oh, it's you? a very good no, point. Probably not. That's but. a very good point. I've been out of the dating game for a little bit, but I have an absolute gem. People often ask me, "What's the worst first date you've ever had? What's the worst date you've ever had?" Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times, you you get asked that question. People get asked that question. They're like, "Oh, let me think." There's a clear cut for me. Is an obvious answer for me, and I'm going to open with this one. Then we'll jump into the podcast here. But we need these dating stories. It's one of the best stories I've got. So meet this chick on a dating app. And one of my things on the dating apps is I don't really like to talk a ton in the dating app before meeting the person because I feel like I freaking hate it. Whatever. It's just like mindless conversation. How are you? Doing well. What do you do? I don't care. Cool. So I say, let's grab coffee early in the conversation. She says, let's do it. Don't talk to her. Don't talk to her. These coffee dates. (laughs) Day of. Day of. She's like, hey, can we pivot to brunch? It's like, okay, she wants some food. I'm in. I'm in. Brunch is good. Brunch is good. So we go to a brunch spot in Cincinnati. I make nothing of it. We go there. First thing she orders, can I get a club soda with lime? Interesting drink order. I never see it before. I get a coffee. Then as we're kind of going forward, she's like, do you want to get mimosas? She's like, you know what? Mimosas, brunch, let's run it. Having a good time here. Let's do it. I order mimosas from the waiter. He walks away. She's like, wait, if we're going to get mimosas, we might as well get a pitcher. And I was like, oh, now I get the club soda with lime. She was kind of wanting to drink, but didn't get it. Now we're going in. We get the pitcher. I run down the waiter. We get the pitcher of mimosas. We go through the pitcher, split it about 50-50, having a good time. She's like, you want to run it back? Another pitcher. I was like, dude, this chick's driving the wheel here. <laughs> Saturday, I'm feeling it. Let's run another pitcher. Grab another pitcher. This is more of a 60-40 split. She's kind of leaning heavily. She poured the last of mine into hers. She's like, oh, yeah. I was like, oh, I was like eating or whatever it was. Then I asked something along. This is where the story gets good. I asked along something along the lines of like, I'm starting to feel a little drunk, like not drunk, but tipsy or whatever. And they're like, oh, what kind of drunk are you? And she says, I like to drive when I black out. <sighs> Full stop. I like to drive when I black out. And I kind of like laughed a little, but then she was being serious. And then she like immediately follows that up with, I have three DUIs in the last three months. I was like, oh my God. And I, and I, so, I should, so here's the thing. I shouldn't be laughing. Here's the thing That's about DUIs. Tragic. Here's the thing about DUIs. You know, everyone, it happens all the time. It's, 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 it's a mistake, whatever. It's reckless, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to kill her for it. My dad has, you know, three DUIs. It's it, maybe four DUIs. I don't know how many that guy's got, Jesus. but immediately I'm like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. And she's like, yeah, that's why I had an Uber here. I have a suspended license, blah, blah, blah. I was like, you immediately. What I and I was like, when do you get your license back? And she says, oh, I don't know. And immediately like word vomit. I'm like, 
oh, you don't know? You haven't been to court yet? She's like, no. And like word vomit because I know from my dad that's going to be really expensive. She's like, really? I was like, oh, buddy, if you don't know that yet, that's going to be really expensive trying to get that license back and go through those DUIs. I'm telling you. She said the last one she got caught at, she fell asleep at a red light. It's freaking brutal. It was a rough state of being. But we continued the date. I'm here for the story at this point. Next thing she suggests, she says, after the brunch, trying to go to a brewery. It's like, oh, man, we're riding or die here. We go to a brewery. You're like an enabler, right? (laughs) We go to a brewery. She gets a beer. I get a water. She gets another beer. I get a water. And then she says, side part of the story, she sees a motorcycle. She's like, do you have a motorcycle? I said, no. She's like, well, my ex did. I was like, well, uh, should I freaking go get a license right now? Either way. (laughs) Then she says, oh, my gosh, I feel so bad. I was like, why? And she's like. Uh, I just been sober for 21 days. Now I immediately start apologizing. I'm like, lose. I'm like, oh my oh, gosh, man. I'm so sorry. I didn't know. I didn't try and like get beers. I wasn't. I wasn't trying to get you drink. She's like, no, that's my decision. It's my decision. It's my decision. Whatever. It is. After the brewery, she's like, oh my gosh, I got to work at two. Works as a waitress. She said she was a Spanish teacher. Here we are. She's works as a waitress at a, a restaurant downtown. She's she's slugging though. Is the problem. And then she goes to drink. But uh, she goes to work and she's like. A little tipsy. I didn't. I wouldn't call her drunk necessarily. And she's like, "We should hang out after work and like watch a movie." I mean, in my head, I'm like, "I don't know if I want to make that play." Um, then she goes to work. Don't hear from it. I I, I leave. I immediately call like a bunch of my friends, and I'm like, "Dude, I just went on the most insane date ever." She texts me during work. She's like, "Oh my gosh, I got sent home for being too drunk." And I'm like, "Oh my goodness, I am. I feel so bad. Like this. This is rough. She's in a rough situation, a rough state of mind." Then here's the kicker. Best part of the story. I say, oh, that's crazy, something along those lines. Don't text her for a couple days. Then she says, out of the blue, hey. I say, hey, what's up? Have you given any more thought to hanging out again? And I say something along the lines of, oh, maybe I'm busy. I have a lot of work. And she's like, you know what? On second thought, I don't really want to hang out again. You talk too much. I'll see you later. I come out of this first date. I come out of this first date absolutely roasted. And you know, I do talk too much, but I didn't think I'd be the guy getting turned down. She hits you with the old, you can't, er, uh, you can't quit. You're fired. Yeah, exactly. It was the, you can't quit. You're fired. Exactly. was what it was, but it was an absolutely absurd date. She had some in between all of that. What doesn't make the story is she had some insane stories, like family background, all the stuff. She had some really, crazy she things. She seemed to say. really like emotionally stable. by it. It didn't seem like she'd be that crazy. It was a fan. So worst date in terms of like, oh my gosh, blown away all the way through, but best date in terms of the story. Very, very good stuff. All right, let's jump into what we came to the podcast for and 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 roll through this here. We got to start with recapping the college football playoff championship. Your immediate thoughts off Devontae Smith going for what? Over 200 yards and three touchdowns in the first half. Yeah, it was a blowout. Like it was just like they did not belong in the same field. No one belonged in the same field, seemingly, with Alabama this year. I mean, and we're going to see it come draft time. I still think there's a good chance. I would put, if I could put a 50-50 bet right now, plus 100 on Alabama tying at least Miami's record for six first-rounders, I would. I think they get six first-rounders. Like, this team is utterly loaded with talent, offensively, defensively. But my immediate takeaway from Dante Smith is that I'm going to be the guy who's the hater all draft season because he's wide receiver three for us, and I don't really foresee that necessarily changing. Yeah, he's number eighth on our board. Like, I hate a guy who's eighth on our board. I'm going to be seen as that guy. But <laughs> Yeah, which is ridiculous. But you look at those three touchdowns. If you're drafting any wide receiver in the first – I think if you're drafting Aiden Rodgers, you're straight up, period. He scores on those touchdowns, a flat route, that orbit motion, and a deep crosser where he ran a straight line. Those were, those were you know, a big pers- big part of his perception is purely his production, purely the numbers uh, in that offense. And a lot of it was 
because he was the guy, because he was the guy that they're scheming it up for in that offense. If Waddle was the guy that they're scheming up for in the offense, Waddle wins Heisman. Like that's, I still think there are reasons to like, you're still projecting what they physically can do to the NFL level. And yes, I love Devontae Smith. He's a fantastic player, but the hype is going to be a little much for me, I'm guessing. I mean, right now you're seeing ESPN mock him at two to the Jets. Yeah, that's Other people saying. have mocked that's him at three to the Miami much. Dolphins. I feel that that is too rich. I don't think he should be the first wide receiver off the board, and I don't think he should go as high as two or three. And then again, like you and I even say myself, going to be Marcus Haters, when you go back into Twitter, Twitter timeline, I said last year that he has a real shot of being wide receiver one, seeing what he did in 2019. And even now, after elevating his stock in 2020, the reason you're going against Devontae Smith as wide receiver one is from a traits perspective, Jamar Chase and Jalen Waddell are more rare. Their, their traits are more rare. And when you talk about drafting for value in the first round, positional value, first and foremost, secondarily, you need to draft rare athletes with rare traits because that is what is hard to come by in, on day two and day three or later even in the first round. I think Devontae Smith, as polished as he is, as uh, he's a technician, great release point, great production. You look at traits from a size and athleticism perspective, he's not on the same plane as Jamar Chase and Jalen Waddle. Those guys bring more rare ability to the table. And that's why, you know, he's, you know, a big reason why he's he's wide receiver three, but still a top ten player on our board. Yeah. Right behind Jalen Waddle. Like seven Jalen Waddle, eight Devontae Smith. You're not a hater by any means. Yeah. You're calling him a top ten player in the draft, even though he's six foot one, one hundred and seventy pounds soaking wet. That I think is respect, if anything. So to me, if you're looking for a guy who was like the most impressive from a draft perspective it was Christian Barmore, defensive tackle. I about five pressures in the game. Presence fell in the run game as well. He ended up finishing the season with a 91.5 pass rushing grade. He was like, you know, Nick Fairley-esque in the title game, Dominican Sue-esque, where it's just like, that guy is the best defensive lineman on the field. You're not blocking that guy one-on-one. And I think after kind of inconsistency to start the year, not showing that dominance, he turned it on big when it counted. And I, I think if one, he's fairly clearly a top defense attack prospect. Two, I think he's now fairly clearly top 20 pick. One more note on that game before we jump to previewing the divisional round is how much do you think the Trey Sermon injury, I think it was on the first or second play, played a factor in this game? Because some people were saying, man, that was huge. He was a big reason why they won in previous weeks. I don't think it was that big. I, I think the bigger problem was is they couldn't stop Bama. Bama was scoring at every possession. Well, yeah. Like, I, I, I don't care if you have Trey Sermon though. or freaking, I don't care if Ezekiel Elliott walks through that door. Yeah. You're not, you you need to, you, the, Bama scored 50 plus at a championship game. And I, Seth wrote a really, really good piece. Seth Galina wrote a really good piece for PFF.com talking about just how Ohio State's defense just let them down. Like they played a very simplified approach that like that they had, they were going to run the same thing that they run against other teams and, and really just couldn't, could not do anything against that Bama offense. I don't think Trey Sermon was a huge factor. Yeah, I, I don't think so either. I think the bigger injury, if we're talking about injuries for Ohio State, well, one was just not having uh, Togi on their defensive line. Yeah, like that they had Toby. to they had to affect Mac Jones more than they did. And two, Justin Fields just not being hundred percent, and he did not look hundred percent when he started to run, when he started moving move the pocket. And so I think that injury was the bigger one. And then, like I said, with their defensive game plan, though, they were never winning that game. Yeah, they yeah. just weren't. My favorite tweet from the night was uh, Big Cat Barstool. He said, Sark called such a great ha- half. I think it's safe to say Texas is back. Like it, it, and it really was. Like he was, 
scheming up stuff that was breaking Ohio State's defense that it didn't really matter who was out there. They were Ohio State was just going to give up gobs of yardage. Another bad game for Sean Wade too. Man, that was a tough the the the, the free release at the line of scrimmage against Devontae Smith and then like jogging to catch him downfield was Awful. There was also that play with Devontae Smith where they somehow had 32 on him, and it looked. Someone tweeted that it looked like his check engine light came on. Yeah. <laughs> it was that was one of the funnier highlights of the thing because the guy's on his horse, but just in no way, shape, or form keeping pace with Devontae Smith. All right, let's jump to this divisional round preview here. Uh, we're going to look at it from a Green Line perspective. Remember, Green Line is a PFF de- betting dashboard that offers projections on the total, the spread, and the money line for every single game in the NFL and in college football available in your elite subscription looking ahead to this week let's go ahead and start with the rams packers games rams or packers at home currently favored by six and a half green line has a lean on the dogs at plus six and a half and even likes them on the money line at plus 260 i get why like these like because i think it's not factoring in the fact that aaron donald has rib injury cooper cup has a knee injury Jared Goff has a thumb injury because all those guys are still going to play. It's difficult to factor that in, but I think it's going to matter still to some degree. And like full strength, these two teams, six and a half is too much for me. But you're talking about Jared Goff with a thumb or even John Walford. You're talking about Cali Boy Goff or Florida Boy Walford. Wow. Going Cali into, Boy Goff? Wait, you're such a dick to Cali people. Going Cali. in. You're going to call me call, Cali Boy I'm awesome. saying if you were trying to play quarterback in Lambeau when it's 20 degrees, I'd light your ass it's going to be different. <laughs> it is. It has someone who was born in Milwaukee. I grew up in Champaign, went to school at Notre Dame, lived in Chicago before then moved in Cincinnati. When it's cold outside, when it's 20 degrees outside, and you're not used to that, it is different different to play a sport in and it sucks absolute balls your hands get numb (laughs) it's no fun to play and until you've been acclimated to that like everyone in green bay is right now it's just your body takes a little bit to adjust so coming from la going up to like that actually does matter and that's why i mean that's why they've been so dominant at home when the weather does turn like that how much do you make of this you know Brandon Staley defense that is like taking over Twitter and the world because mm-hmm. of how creative it is and how he's rolling looks. We've talked to Zach Robinson, former PFF analyst who now works on the coaching staff for the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, he said, good luck trying to identify our coverages. Good luck trying to chart these things because they are disguised all day long. Do you think this slows down Aaron Rodgers and company at all? Yeah, I think it does. They have the personnel to do it. I mean, you have a cornerback in Jalen Ramsey that can actually match up with Devontae Adams. and That's going to be an absolute treat. You know, a guy who can put pressure on any quarterback in the NFL. It doesn't matter. Like Aaron Donald, there's no you know, game plan for him wholesale. So I do think that they can slow him down. But I still think Aaron Rodgers Aaron Rodgers. Like, you're still – he's not missing throws this year. So you still can only slow him down to some degree. Should be a fun one in Lambo. That one's at 435 on Saturday, 435 Eastern. Let's jump to what I think is going to be the game of the weekend. I think this is honestly going to be the game of the weekend. It is the Baltimore Ravens going to Buffalo to take on Josh Allen and the Bills. Right now, Bills favored by two and a half, and Greenline has a lean on Buffalo at minus two and a half. And I think a big reason for that is it's not through that key number. You know, a, a huge probability or a, a huge percentage of games land on three mm-hmm. either side. So when you get through that key number three and from a betting perspective, 
it eliminates a lot of those possibilities and puts you on a certain side. Two and a half is closer to a pick than it is to three. Yeah. Pick being the spread at zero. So I think I do would I would agree that Buffalo at minus two and a half at home, as well as Josh Allen has played this year, is probably where I'd lean as well. They even like Buffalo on the money line at minus one thirty five if you can get it at that spot. But two 2018 draft class quarterbacks coming at it. One former MVP. Josh Allen played at MVP levels at certain points of the season. Who do you have in this game? And how big is this for both of those guys and the perception in the NFL? This is the one game I don't have a take on. I, what? I really like don't have a good read on because of how I think just the high end of what you could get from either of these quarterbacks any given week. And they can just like we saw the Titans game last week. They bottled up Lamar Jackson very well. Kept him in the pocket for a good portion of that game. He had one scramble. That's what changed the game. The one scramble was a 48-yard touchdown. They let him out of the pocket once, and it cost them. I think both of these quarterbacks are capable of that big, big play to change the game. And so I don't really have a great handle on this. I think I'm going to lean... I keep going to lean Baltimore on this. Really? I do. Against the spread or fucking to win this game? Straight up. I think I'm going to lean Baltimore straight up. But it's... Like I said, I don't have a good handle on this game at all. But I do think that that secondary if there's any secondary that can like keep with as many pieces now you're not going to keep with you know stefan Diggs one-on-one but all the pieces that the bills do have at the receiving like they have the ravens have you know multiple multiple good corners on that defense man that's tough i'd probably lean buffalo and stick with green line here at buffalo minus two and a half mm-hmm. um i don't know I, but i like baltimore I like if you're looking at an upset this week i know someone tweeted out recently i think it was brian burke of espn potentially Tweeting that I think if you had to pick an upset this week, it'd be Cleveland, who are 10-point dogs in Kansas City in Arrowhead. But I think if you had to pick an upset this week, I really like um, Did he really Baltimore or Tampa Bay. Yeah, he, I think or it was Brian Burke or someone else. Maybe it would have been someone else. I don't want to quote who it was. But I, I saw Eric Eager and George Jahuri and then Josh Hermsmeyer jumping in, some of the analytics guys on Twitter talking about it. But uh, I probably lean Buffalo here. Let's jump to that Cleveland game. That's Sunday, 3.05 Eastern. Cleveland right now, 10-point dogs, the lean for green line. Anytime you see big dogs like that in the postseason, you can almost expect most betting models, most you know, most betting models to lean on the dog. Like 10 mm-hmm. points in a playoff game is a lot. And we see that here uh, right now, 74% of the cash, but 50, 56% of the tickets. So 74% of the cash is on Kansas City. 56% of the tickets is on uh, the Browns as 10-point dogs. Let's, let's explain that. Tickets? That percentage is squares. Cash, that's that's those are the big betters. Th- those are the how sharps. many people, the percentage yes. of people that have bet. Yeah, so a higher percentage yeah, of people have bet the money. Browns, but more of the money is on the Chiefs. So the bigger betters, the yeah. sharper. So you're saying analysts. that Cleveland's poor is what you're saying? Yeah, no, not Cleveland's poor. I'm saying the people so betting on like Cleveland right now are squares, and the people betting on Kansas City with the big money are more sharp. So that's where you probably lean there. But I would honestly lean Kansas City here. I'm going to go against Green Line. I, I don't love think those Browns KC big lines just fucking love them. I mean. <laughs> The Kansas City, though, they did win a lot of one-score games. It's true, true. They did win a lot of one-score. And the interesting thing, and I, I can't wait for this matchup, because everyone and their mother, before every single Chiefs game, how do you beat the Chiefs? Keep the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands. The Cleveland Browns, uniquely qualified to do that. The best running game in the NFL, the best like under-center running game, the best pure, uh, you know, give it to our old school give it to our running back and outside zone and let's pound them best running game in the nfl the most fish running game in the nfl that they have that blueprint now can they execute it so everyone and their mother says that. i think so it's not me i'm not yeah, yeah. i'm not sure that the i'm not sure that is the, the blueprint chiefs, either the but. blueprint to beat the chiefs is to not punt yeah. never punt always score 
If you consistently score, you're going to have a chance. But I do think they also like they'll go for it. Up. They're not going to be punting on fourth and two from if the forty-two. And and if they do. Yeah. And they will get rightfully ripped for it. Because as 10-point dogs, I, I do think spread matters in decision-making when it's this big. Like you are, If well, you are a yeah. large dog, you enter the game with a lower win probability based off historical data. You enter the game with lower win probability. You need to find and attack high-leverage situations like fourth and shorts near midfield, mm-hmm. going for it down near the goal line. All that stuff needs to happen. You cannot be conservative in this game because you're not supposed to win. You're not even supposed to cover seven points. That's what the probabilities are at right now. Vegas is telling you you're not even going to cover this number uh, at seven or three. You need to be attacking. You need to be aggressive, and I hope you see that from Kevin Stefanski, who has been released from his basement to coach this game. Nice. And I also will say the offense, Baker Mayfield, like it's looked kind of good of late. It has. Two of his last three, four games have been graded over 93. His last four over 80. And it's not like the Chiefs' defense is like they're not great. Yeah, it's not. A, it's they not haven't a been good this Chiefs year. Defense, I think so. Frank Clark has Ten. a bottom five pass rush win rate when you remove RPOs, play action, screens. I will obviously pick the Chiefs straight up, but I think against spread, I, I'm rolling with Cleveland. I like it. I like it. Um, you know, and also one more thing on Baker Mayfield. I think in that Pittsburgh Steelers game where they go up 28-0 very early first quarter. I still think there were multiple times in that game where Pittsburgh was sending blitzes or getting pressure on Baker where he had an opportunity to make a mistake. He had an opportunity to fall into what we've seen with bad pocket presence, bad decision-making under pressure, and he didn't. I think you saw some maturity out of Baker Mayfield in that one. Oh, we didn't bring this up about the college football national championship. So after the game, they're talking about Mac Jones and how, how well he's played this year. And they flash back to his freshman season when they won the championship, and he's sticking his tongue out to like catch confetti. And he's like, see right there? See, that's how Mac Jones has gotten more mature. He's not doing that stuff anymore. I was like, are you kidding me? That That's not a sign of immaturity. I've been doing the same damn thing. I was blown away at that point made by the broadcast team. Uh, I, that's just nuts to me. All right. Oh, also, we didn't even touch on the fact that Jalen Waddle was like, oh, yeah. The fuck was that? Dude, why Jalen Waddle played in that game is absolutely absurd. When they When they had the video of him running, before the game and yeah. I think it was CBS who tweeted out saying like oh looking good it's like dude he's freaking limping no he looks awful <laughs> and they also said someone was saying he was actually running at the same speed but it just didn't feel as right as like there's no chance you're running at the same speed zero chance yeah that, that was dude he was rough. running routes and then as soon as he caught it like limping to the sideline yeah and I, did you see Tory Smith tweet out something in reference to Jalen Waddle no. about how like in his last high school game his mom he had like a bad ankle mm-hmm or something similar. And his mom was like, you can't play, you can't play, you shouldn't play. It's going to jeopardize your college career, whatever. And he still played, and he rolled up his ankle and ended up like costing him a lot of the offseason preparing for college. And it's like someone needed to tell Waddle, because you know it wasn't going to be Saban. Someone needed to tell Waddle, like, hey, man, you got to sit this one out. It's best yeah. for your future. Even though it shows grit, it shows toughness, all this stuff. I saw someone tweet out recently saying, when everyone's dropping out of college bowl games, you have Jill and Waddle showing true grit. It's like, no, some of that is toughness. And some of that is bad, like bad decision-making. Like you can't – I love that he wanted to play, yeah. and that would have been enough for me. Like I really want to play, and him being really upset if you told him you can't or you shouldn't, but I don't think you should have played in that game. All right, last game of the divisional round here. We took a little bit of a pivot is Bucks saints Saints at home favored by three. 51% of the tickets are on New Orleans, but 60% of the cash is on the dog, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. 
I mean, Tampa, play, Tampa Bay has the better offense in this game, and I'd argue a comparable defense. As good as the Saints' defense is on paper, I think they can play good defense as well. The Saints, they look like the Saints get. You know, they look like a thirteen and three team. Or they go twelve and four. They look like a dominant team on only a handful of occasions this year. Probably like three or four games. Two of them came against the Bucks. Like those are like the two th- games they hang their hat on, and then they kind of like fart out wins against the Bears 21-9 where you're just like that's like they didn't look that great like they look like fine I don't know I, I just think I just think the Bucks are the better team like if you're looking at the roster as a whole right now what they can do offensively they are the better team it's tough to beat a team three times in a season I just think Todd Bowles has to be embarrassed after the first two games Tom Brady has to be embarrassed after the first two games the last time they faced off was the what down is a game, wasn't it? No. The oh, no. last time they faced off was Tom Brady throwing picks left and right, and they were just got blown out. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. right. Which Who was he going against uh, in that one? The, I don't even remember that game. Fourth down I don't, game. The only thing I remember is him being like, it's fourth down. But uh, I don't it? remember who they went against. I was like it was primetime game, too. It I was. Remember. Um, I think if I had to pick something here, and it, so uh, I think a big element here is Tom Brady in a dome. Steve Palazzolo, Boston native, always brings up Tom Brady – Tom Brady in the dome is a different breed, and I think he just going to brings up Tom Brady like, yeah, he period. brings up Tom Brady. Period. But yes, you have Drew Brees in a dome, and Drew Brees he he says it all the time has benefited from playing a bulk majority of his career in a dome. Mm-hmm. Tom Brady in a dome, I think, can light them up. And Mike Evans playing banged up last week still looked very good. Antonio Brown is coming on for this offense. I think he has like four or five touchdowns in the last yeah. few weeks. I, I I really and Chris Godwin had five drops last week. That's gonna positively regress okay like he is a very he's they very like good at catching the football bragging about his hands too they're like best hands ever tom brady says he has the best hands ever yeah of any receiver he's played with uh, which is a shot at randy moss and julian edelman and wes welker yeah speaking of brady it was the bears game yeah was it? Oh, that's that, right. yeah, it was bears the bears game. game i was gonna say the bears but i didn't think about that hmm. did you say and to kill harry yeah <laughs> and jacoby myers all right um i think if i had to pick something here i'm going tampa bay plus 145 on the money line. Yeah, I am too. I, I think Tampa Bay money lines. I'm picking them straight up. I think they win this game. And again, I bring up key numbers here because not everyone bets every single week like maybe I do or you do or whoever does. But key number at three, you could probably want to lean on Tampa Bay plus three because there you, you know, there's a chance that they do lose this game by three and you end up getting a push. But I think if you're looking to like make money on this bet, I do like the plus 145. I think that's the that's the move. All right, let's now go ahead and jump to the second part of this podcast here. But before we do so, let's take a quick break. PFF and Action Pro are teaming up. Subscribe to PFF's Elite Annual Subscription using promo code ACTION to receive a year of Elite Subscription access and one year, 365 days of Action Pro subscription access for just $199.99. Action Pro is Action Network's premium subscription offering tailor-made to make avid and new bettors better. This is a limited-time offer that is currently only made available now through the Super Bowl. This offer only applies to first-time elite annual subscribers. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions. Like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western and Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser, products issued by member companies of Western and Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. 
Dane Brugler of The Athletic and PFF's own Anthony Tresh recently published mock drafts. Dane Brugler, a two-round mock draft on theathletic.com. If you don't have a subscription... showed me up with that. I only hit, I only won 18 picks and he goes two rounds. Dane, we're going to have to just... He's just owning Dude, me. everyone's just trying to own you right I now. I know. Everyone's at, it's, there's a target on your back. It After is. that viral tweet, we didn't even bring up the viral tweet. Oh, yeah, the viral you brought, tweet. It, so you, want, you hit on some really good keywords, and you did it in prime time. Keywords, NCAA 14. There, there, that, that's, there's a cult-like following yeah. for that game. Two, you tweeted during the national championship. Twitter rolls during game time. Very good stuff there. The Wyoming slander, though, mm. that, was, that was brutal. So for okay. those who don't know, bring up the tweet. Bring up the tweet. Oh, okay, so what was, the tweet was... Gosh, it, it was that uh, it was Nick Saban has reached the stage where he's so dominant that, uh, gosh, I had, uh, let me just bring up the actual tweet. I have it right here. Nick Saban yeah. has reached the stage in NCAA 14 dynasty mode where you're so dominant that it's not fun anymore. So you start over with Wyoming. And it went off like what, 60,000 likes? Like 70,000 likes now. 70,000 likes. ESPN featured it in a tweet. ES Sports Center had it on Instagram. When you're famous and like, you know, you're more famous than you are now, of course. Just don't forget about us little guys, me and Quinn. Yeah, we can't hang out anymore after this. By, no, that's fair, too. Way, but, that's fair, too. Um, but it was, full disclosure, last NCAA game I had was 09. Bank College did not actually ever have 14. So you're but a I, fraud. I, I, yeah. But, I mean, it's the same <laughs> shit. But then I also was like, the first school I thought of was Army. But I'm like, I don't want to do that to the troops. No, never do that to the troops. So. Uh, it's like Wyoming, but it actually came to me in the shower. I was showering at halftime because I got home right after Best working out, do. and I was like, "Oh shit, that's a good." I, I cut the shower shower off early. I'm like, "This is this oh one's my this god, one's a, this one's an hot. early shower <laughs> for good reason." All right, let's get back to uh, these mock drafts here. Go to the Athletics, subscribe so you can read the full mock draft. We're only going to touch on some of the key picks in the second round because he does a first round mock. The, I want to start though at three overall. So he's he's the Zach. He loves Zach Wilson. He doesn't go to the Jets. Uh, he's the one that's been banging the table for that for probably he started that table to bang mm. three he has Devontae <laughs> Smith I'm not banging any tables anytime soon but Devontae Smith at three to the Dolphins is a wild one to me especially because Dane Brugler has always been the guy that talks about traits in the first mm. round talks about like bringing like elite athletes and elite mm-hmm. like ceilings in the first round especially high in the first round to go Devontae Smith I think that does speak volumes to what he sees in him as a player and also when you're bringing up guys like Mache, Kuyper, Brugler, they have better connections to the NFL than we do. They they have conversations with legit guys who are scouting in the NFL and GMs and stuff like that. I know you do it too as well, but I think it also is speaking volumes to what the NFL thinks about this kid. I just am very floored. I think it's more because he's not high on Sewell. But like, if you're the Miami Dolphins, that, I don't know. I, I guess you're pairing him back with Tua Tagovailoa, like that whole conversation, but you can get a wide receiver at 18. You can't get a Penny Sewell at 18, I don't think. So There you have it. Well, the another thing with Penny uh, Sewell kind of in the first round before we jump to his second round, remember, you can see the full mock draft on theathletic.com, but he has seven offensive tackles going in the first 39 picks and two additional interior offensive linemen going the first 39 picks. It's a that, deep tackle class. That is, and we've talked about it before, where like Tristan Wirfs, Andrew Thomas, Mackay Becton, like this was a legit offensive tackle class last year all these guys going in what top 15 picks mm-hmm. you have seven now going in the first 39 this is a good class to need an offensive tackle so much that a team that immediately comes to mind for me Cincinnati Bengals if Penesol's not there 
you don't have to force it. You don't have to force it and take an offensive tackle at five. Mm-hmm. If you trade down and you want to grab a Rashawn Slater or a Derisaw, let's run it. But you don't have to take an offensive tackle at five. You can find that guy at the top of the second round. Leatherwood could fall there. You have uh, Sam Cosme could drop to that level. Like that's who he has him in the mock draft, both falling there. And I think that's one of the, like usually we say it's a scarce position. Every team, you know, there's probably, there's probably only three or four teams in the NFL that don't need a tackle. So it's like every team could use one, but I think this is the year that you could actually find one at the top of the second round. This is an exciting offensive line class for sure. Because even the two interior offensive linemen he has going high are both are really good players as well. It's Elijah Vera Tucker and the what? Jalen Mayfield? Wyatt Davis. Oh, Wyatt Davis. Jalen Mayfield, he lists as a tackle guard, but probably yeah. plays tackle in the NFL. The Michigan guy. All right, let's jump to Najee Harris. RB1. Goes to Tampa Bay at 27. We obviously are against drafting running backs in the first round, but talk mm-hmm. about Najee Harris's RB1 over Travis Etienne. This one... With all we know about situation mattering for running backs, I cannot get on board with this. I cannot get on board with Najee Harris as RB1 when he had the Joe Moore award-winning offensive line. You had the best offensive line in college football. I, As a Notre Dame homer, I would have loved for it to go to my Irish, but no, Alabama is a better offensive line. I will admit that. They have far more NFL talent. And so he was on the most talented offensive line with the most explosive passing game that everyone wanted to game plan for. Average 5.8 yards carry. Like, not that ours carries everything, but like, if this guy was a true difference maker that was going to change your franchise enough that you need to draft him with the 27th overall pick and that enough that he's going to be different than the guy you're going to get in the fourth round or the UDFA like James Robinson this year, you would, hope, you would think he would produce a little bit more behind the best offense line in the NFL. It's going to be tough to watch if both... I just, I just, I don't, I can't get on board with him that high. It's going to be... He's not that fast. (laughs) It's going to be tough to watch Najee Harris and Travis Etienne go in like the first 30, 40 picks. Because again, I still feel like there is better value on the board at different positions. Um, And Najee Harris at RB1 over Etienne, like you said, is, is in its own right an interesting take. All right, no safety in the first round. You really like Trayvon Morrig. And yes. you see him as a first-round player. Yes. But he does not go in the first round. No safety goes in the first round. Yes. For Dave Brugler. Safety's getting hated on. And I get why. It is a difficult position to scout, and it's very much dependent on role and all those sort of things, and they're not that involved. But I think versatile guys like Morig, who are versatile enough to go anywhere on your defense, are getting more and more valuable. And pretty much every team in the NFL is playing three safeties more than they play three linebackers. Like, it is a you need more safeties than you do linebackers at this point in time in the NFL. And I just, if I were an NFL team, if I was running a franchise, I would be loading up on these guys on day two because of where the value is kind of sitting at Mm -hmm. that position. No one's really wanting. I'd be drafting the Xavier McKinney's of the world. I'd be drafting the Trayvon Morris of the world. I would be drafting these guys wholesale rounds two, round three, and have a defense that has all these versatile guys on the back end because I think that's what wins in today's NFL. I mean, Jesse Bates wasn't a first rounder. That's another guy too. Yeah. Like you, I, I do agree that like there's right now there is some market inefficiency in on day two, day three, where there's some really, really talented safeties. And that's also evident in recent free agency. Like Trey Boston, like Johnson couldn't Gardner find a Johnson. job for a while, but he's been mm-hmm. one of the more productive safeties in the NFL. There's other safeties too. I'm trying to think of guys that have like DJ Swearinger, like bounces around from team to team, but still can come out and produce as a safety. Well, later. he's... Different case. He's yeah. a different case. Uh, he's a different case. But, but I, like, I do Chauncey think that Gardner like Johnson, 
fourth rounder been True. awesome. Yeah. I mean, getting guys kicked out left and right against them. That's that has value. <laughs> that does have value. Uh, some picks on the second round that we wanted to touch on before we jump to Anthony's mock draft. Chas Surratt going to the Cardinals at 49. Get some athletes at linebacker. Got yeah. Chas Surratt and Isaiah an Simmons. Linebacker. And I think, so the reason I wanted to highlight this pick is that Chas Surratt, I remember before the season, we said, hey, he plays well, shows some growth, could be a first rounder. Yeah. Didn't Never loved the value in the first round. Where I do love it, though, and you talk about racking up value on day two, Chas Surratt on day two is a is is an awesome pick. Mm-hmm. If you can get him in the 40s and the 50s, an athlete like that. I looked up his background. His, his, he might have the most successful high school career of any freaking player in this class. The guy was like a three-sport athlete, lettered in all three. I think it was basketball, baseball, football, whatever it was. 4.5 GPA. And he freaking watched the coaches like – sons or something like he was a babysitter too like the dude is like the nicest guy in the world so he's a nerd he's not a, he's nerd. a nerd he's not a nerd i don't want nerds on my football he's team a, <laughs> does he <laughs> love it does men. he need it does he he's need a leader of men. and yeah. then so here so people don't know this too i mean some people don't know this chess rat was recruited as, i think it's like a three-star quarterback yeah and like threw for a ton of yards in high school it's like one of the better quarterbacks in all of north carolina he's from north carolina Goes to UNC, plays quarterback for what, the first two years, mm-hmm. makes a pivot, selfless pivot to linebacker, and lights it up for them as well. Like, I mean, this guy, I really do think can do, he's one of those guys that wherever you take him, I don't see him leaving the NFL for 10, 15 years. He could be at his floor, your buddy Nick Ballore, where he's just like in the NFL playing special teams forever mm-hmm. because he's that, I feel like he's that type of player. In addition to having the ceiling that he could be a legit starting linebacker in the NFL. Yeah, to me, he always should have played like the same role that Jeremiah Wusakoromoa played in Notre Dame's Ooh. defense, but he kind of got screwed because it, they didn't they, they stuck him at Mike Linebacker. And so he was having to take on blocks between the tackles and just wasn't ready for that because dude played quarterback a year and a yeah. half ago. But down the stretch, he only missed one tackle in his final five games. That's huge. One. And the, and tackle, and much, tackles much, were a problem for him last year. Finished with an 81.7 tackling grade this year after a 50.2. Like you saw the growth in areas. Now, taking on blocks, whatnot. He's still an undersized guy. That's still something that has to change in his game. But the athleticism and the growth is there for a guy. And yes, he's on the older side, but like he's young to the position. I haven't talked to the guy and I wouldn't finalize this take until I talked to him. But from what I've seen from a background perspective and how much he's grown on the field, you can bank on this guy playing his best football in the next few years. Like you haven't seen it yet. Like, you have not seen Chaz Surratt's best football linebacker. He's only been playing it for two years. But 4.5 GPA, playing all those different sports, watching kids, <laughs> watching his coach's kids. Like, this guy, I think, has the the will, the development. Like, he is a guy that you can develop. Good face, too. Level. Good that face. Matters. Good face. All right. Let's jump to Ifatu Melifanwu, the Syracuse cornerback, former, not not former brother, current brother, still his brother, of Obi Melifanwu, the former second-round pick out of UConn that went to the then Oakland Raiders. Did not pan out, did not pan out despite being this absolutely athletic freak. Yeah. Obi Melifanwu, like, broke records at the Combine. Yeah, I mean, Ifatu's going to be a freak, too. Ifatu. That guy's Ifatu. Excuse me. 6'3", 213 at cornerback, and he's probably going to run, like, it's probably going to test, like, similarly. That guy, I, like, I, can move. Dude, absolutely. And he so he's got length. He's got speed, he's got athleticism, and he plays outside corner. And I think he had some really good tape. Like, he had some really good tape in press, specifically. Mm-hmm. I thought his press reps were really, really good at Syracuse. Remember, if you remember Obi coming out, everyone's like, ooh, maybe like teams are thinking about him as corner. Teams mm-hmm. think about moving him as corner. He probably should have played corner. Probably should have played corner because he was not he was soft. physical. And the problem is, like, Fatu, Fatu, not physical either. Like, but you can he, get away with that at outside corner. And you can. But, like... 
if you draft a guy who's six foot three, two thirteen, you would like for them to be physical on the outside. Like that, that your advantage should be because you like how you get physical with opposing wide receivers, and he just was the opposite of that at Syracuse, which is like concerning because no one teams couldn't coach that into OB. You now, can't coach that in anybody. Now that yeah, I would say like that's not. That's not necessarily like I'm not going to same family scout like two, they are different human beings, but like it is a difficult thing to like instill into somebody. Hey, play that way. You kind of got it or you don't. Yeah, I would agree. But I think I really like his game, regardless yeah. of his physicality. You like the traits and I think he's put good tape on at mm-hmm. outside corner. I think he can be a legitimate piece and going at 50 to the Browns in the second round. Again, similar to Chas Rats, like really, really good athlete yeah. where you he needs to develop in some areas. But I think it's worth it in the second. I round. would not be surprised if the Browns, I don't want to say copy the Ravens idea, but like, yeah, they just got, you know, they just got Denzel Ward. They just got Ronnie Harrison. They just got uh, the guy, the Greedy Williams. They just got the other safety last year who tore his Achilles that I'm just Greedy, terrible at oh, no, on. Um, uh, Grant Delpit. Grant Delpit. I wouldn't be surprised if they go that route when they're just like, keep loading up, like keep going, keep going at that position. The Buccaneers route. Buccaneers, Ravens. Sharp teams are realizing that, hey, it's a weak link pro- prophecy, pass coverage. They're going to attack your worst player, so don't have any bad players. <laughs> yeah. Uh, two more picks here, and then we'll jump to Anthony's mock draft. Rondell Moore goes in the second round, number 53 of the Tennessee Titans. I like the fit a lot. With, with A.J. Brown on the outside, and then you have Rondell Moore coming under, um, in the slot, working the underneath stuff and being that yak guy for them. Because A.J. Brown's got a lot of yak, but like you can push the ball downfield mm-hmm. to A.J. Brown. You get Rondell Moore taking on some of those underneath routes. That's a very, very dynamic receiving core. Rondell's going to be a tough sell because, what, 5'9", 190. It's going to be a tough sell in the first round. That's yeah. not what you're going to look and for. And the injuries, and he hasn't played a lot. But, man, if he fall, he's better than the 53rd most talented player in this class. That is not even like a debate in my mind. He's better. The guy, Diami Brown, goes ahead of him, North Carolina wide receiver in this mock draft. He's a more talented football player than Diami Brown. I don't think anyone would ever debate that. But it, the, the kind of red flags of not having played much football, the role he played in that Purdue offense where they're not even like asking him to run routes half the plays. They're just kind of like shoveling him the ball, feeding him is going to look bad, but I just think if he were to have played a role like, I don't know, like Devontae Smith, if he, if he played him in that similar role, like he would have produced in a similar manner. They just didn't necessarily give him the opportunity to throw the ball down the field. I, I, I do think he's going to be one of the steals of the draft because I do think he falls out of the first round. It's still wild to me that, you know, Rondell Moore did go to Purdue. He had th- over 30 scholarship yeah. offers coming out of Kentucky. He was the Gatorade Kentucky Player of the Year in 2017. Broke school records there for receptions and all this shit. Ran a 4-3-3. Had the highest spark score of any player in the country coming out. Had offers from Bama, Texas. Pretty much any big program gave him an offer. He goes to Purdue. And, uh, and that, you know, that's the thing. Like He like legitimately is a freak athlete. This guy is a monster. Like he said, 4-3-3, highest spark score. He is differently built than your average five foot nine wide receiver. He can do different things. It's just I, I worry that teams are kind of going to overthink it with uh and in a loaded wide receiver class it's difficult not to i think he should go early day two i think round one i do i do agree with a lot of the disagreements that nfl front offices will have like i've seen mm-hmm. this movie before smaller receiver gadget player ton of injuries i'm scared 
Hmm. Top of day two, you better sprint the card in because I do think it's worth it at that point. It's worth the risk. Again, and I think that's the theme through day day two. Attack really, really good athletes with question marks elsewhere on day two. Attack really, really good athletes with fewer or no question marks on day one. Like that's that's the model. You know, like that's what you need to do if you're going to get value out of those picks. And also tack them at high positional value. Don't tack a legitimate athlete with no question marks at long snapper. Okay, that's probably not the move. All right, last one we'll bring up here for Dane, and I wanted to add this one because he had seven offensive tackles going in the first 39 picks, and that didn't even include Alex Leatherwood, who goes 54 to the Colts, and Anthony Costanzo, the left tackle now currently retired. Alex Leatherwood at 54. I'm not saying he's a perfect prospect. I mean, obviously he's not going in the first among the first seven offensive tackles taken, but I think he's a damn good one. And to get him at 74, I think there's enough there for Leatherwood yeah. to to develop as a swing tackle early and potentially be a starter in the NFL. Yeah, I just compare Leatherwood to a guy like uh let's say like Jawan Taylor coming out. Leatherwood's a better prospect than Jawan Taylor is coming out. I, I think you'd like them both for the similar aspects in terms of like the power they can generate. How like they're not freakishly athletic, but they're smooth in pass protection. And if Leather was falling to 54 when Jawan Taylor slipped just to the just like 34, 35, something like that, just at the top of the second round, like that's why I'm saying this tackle class is different than tackle classes in years prior, where you can actually start to find talent in the middle of the second round that could probably step in and start for you right away and not be liabilities, which doesn't happen every year. So I do think, and that's huge value. Yeah, if you can find offensive tackles of Leatherwood's capabilities. And the second round, you're freaking making moves there. That tackle class with Worfs, Thomas, Becton, Leatherwood was the number one recruit that year. At oh, tackle. really? Yes. Oh, wow. I Jedrick think you brought Wills. that up before, but it still he blows was the number me one away. Recruit. All right, let's go to Anthony Tresh's mock draft. He only did one round, but he did more picks than your dumbass. And we're going to look at some of the – that was rude. No, I mean, he did. <laughs> um, but I want to look at some notables here. Remember, we're not going over through every pick of the mock draft. We didn't do that for Dane. We're not doing that for Tresh. If you want to check them out, Google them and go find them on the on the site. We're just going to talk about some notables rude. here. Just telling them to Google them. Go, just give them like a link. Go to pff.com. pff.com slash mock. You'll probably get there some eventually. Um, Anthony Tresh has five quarterbacks going in the top 10. It doesn't happen. And remember, PFF mocks are always going to be way different than other mocks because we're doing them how we would do them. Some positional value is massive. Getting You're going to see a lot of receivers. You're going to see a lot of tackles. You're going to see quarterbacks, corners, those are the guys that go early in our mocks because you're looking at positional value. Quarterbacks, five go in the top 10. I don't think Mac Jones sneaks in there. I'm sorry. Maybe four with Trey Lance as the fourth guy, but I don't think Mac Jones goes in the top 10. I I would be floored if he went in the top 10. I just, I don't see it. And now, desperation can hit, but I like, one, I don't see him going top 10. Two, I don't see him. He has him going above Trey Lance in this one. I oh, just, he does? Yeah. I just think That's Trey right. Lance, what he offers from the NFL perspective, teams are going to fall in love with that. Be quicker to fall in love with that. So I tweeted out, this is kind of on the quarterback conversation. I tweeted out um, some clips of Justin Fields, some of his best throws this season, and talked about how, like, you know, I would argue Lawrence, Lance, and Wilson have better arm talent than Justin Fields. But Justin Fields has enough arm talent to still be a very good quarterback in the NFL and is really good with touch passes down the football field. He's also, over the past three years, he has the highest single-season accuracy percentage of any quarterback over the past three years on throws of five-plus air yards. So trying to get some things downfield, not looking at screens and behind-the-line scrimmage stuff. I think he's one of the most, if not like the most accurate quarterback in this class based off collegiate production, probably regress a little bit, but 
That, I think, is what's most impressive with Justin Fields. And that doesn't even factor in the athletic ability, the size, and the rushing floor he offers, probably even above Zach Wilson, who's also mobile in his own right. Trevor Lawrence, I mean, that guy could run a fucking 4-5. I mean, <laughs> he's like a legitimate athlete. He probably won't get used like one. But I do think Justin Fields, man, I came away really impressed with his tape, watching a little bit more in detail the other day. And I think he ultimately becomes either the second or third quarterback off the board. And then mm-hmm. a GM salivating over Trey Lance's tools and traits, because that's another guy that has legit arm talent and athleticism, goes fourth. And then Mac Jones, I think, still goes in the first round. Yeah. I think Dame Brugler had him going like 28th to the Pittsburgh Steelers, something along those lines. I think that's the more range for Mac Jones. Two picks I'll highlight here. He has Jamar Chase going to Atlanta and Panay Sewell going to Cincinnati after the top three quarterbacks go one, two, three. Jamar Chase to Atlanta. The Falcons fans will hate it because like we have Leo Jones, we have Calvin Ridley. What are you doing? I still think the value at four, if you're not going to trade out of that pick and already the first three quarterbacks are off the board, I kind of like it. I kind of like Jamar Chase over Trey Lance at the four spot for Atlanta. What's your take there? Uh, if Penny Sewell is on the board, I'm still going Penny Sewell. If I'm in, if I'm literally anyone, like I, that, just at four, after like four, that. yeah. And Penny Sewell's on the board. I'm going Penny Sewell, but if Penny Sewell's not on the board, if I'm Atlanta's GM and I'm walking in and I'm looking at that roster, I'm objectively saying I have six or so starting positions I need to upgrade. One fourth overall pick's not getting me back to the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I don't care who it is. You're gonna, you have Trace Chase Young. You're not getting back to the playoffs in that division if you're Atlanta. You need a lot of help. I'm trading that fourth overall pick nine times out of 10 if I'm the Atlanta Falcons in this draft because I I don't think there's one. To me, there's kind of like a tier once you get to – we'll talk about this more in depth as it goes along. But once you get to like Kyle Pitts, like the top nine or so players in this class I think are special. And then there's a tier from like 11 to like 30 where the difference is not that big in terms of the quality of prospects. And that's usually every class, right? Eh. I think sometimes the tiers more can be earlier and there can be like more tiers in there. But like, I think 11 to 30, there's not a lot of guys in that tier. I would want to draft in the top 10. And then there's not a lot of guy. And then, but I, I draft them all. Like I'd love to draft them all like 23rd. So I think this is a draft class to move back. And if you're in the top 10 and don't necessarily, and like you need a lot of holes to fill, there's a lot of guys I think, that if you're getting multiple picks, you can fill it with. And in this situation, I don't know how valuable that fourth pick will be if the first four, three quarterbacks are off the board. But I do think yeah. there's a scenario where there is one of the top three guys left and they can have some opportunities to trade down. Penesul to Cincinnati, if he falls to five, he's the obvious pick. I don't know if he will, but if he falls to five, he's the obvious pick. Um, then he has Devontae Smith going to the Philadelphia Eagles, which I think, man, you, you, Jalen Rager... Didn't play well to start. I think he'll be better in year two. J.J. Arthega-Whiteside has not lived up to expectation. Devontae Smith, I, adding Devontae Smith here as early as that is, I love Devontae Smith. We've talked about it. I think I'd rather have Jalen Waddle here, but I don't know. I, I, I do think that wide receiver is still a need for them. It would just be an awkward situation if he, with some of the data backing, he you know he's an older prospect, without the athleticism, all that stuff, that not hitting mm-hmm. would be rough to see. Um. I will say, though, if you're the Eagles, you already have Jalen Waddle on your offense. Like, Jalen Rager is supposed to be – that's, that that's his guy. role. Yeah, yeah. You, you can – You need a guy that gets open. Devontae Smith yeah. gets open. You, you can put, like, a bunch of those guys, but honestly, you really just need one. 
it would be nice to have two, but like there's once you have two guys like that that aren't necessarily complete wide receivers, it kind of there's things you can't necessarily do with them. So they already have that guy in their offense. If I'm the Eagles, I'd probably lean Devontae Smith as well. So I feel like my mind immediately jumps to like, if it goes bad, it's going to look really bad because Devontae Smith's traits and stuff. But I do think that of the receivers available, no. I mean, you're right that he's the guy that's going to get open consistently and run, you know, a more diverse route tree, maybe even the Jalen Waddle. But Jaylen- also like if I'm Devontae Smith, I don't want to go to Philadelphia either. <laughs> Well, that's not his choice, Mike. All right, Jalen Waddle goes to Detroit at seven. I think that's an interesting pick. I think all of their receivers are free agents. Danny yes. Amendola, Kenny, Gall- Kenny Galladay, and Marvin Jones are all free agents. They probably re-sign Galladay, maybe. I would Adding- hope for their sake. But you have to know. hope. And then if you add Jalen Waddle with Kenny but Galladay, Waddle with I mean, Galladay be fun. That would be a good. That would be a good receiving core. All right, two more here. He has Trayvon Moore, a safety. Your guy going to the Las Vegas Raiders. They just added Gus Bradley as defensive coordinator. I have a take on that. Tweeted out Ken Wisenhunt. Not Ken Ken Wisenhunt. That was a funny tweet from that account on Twitter. Um, But what do you think about Trayvon Morgan? Gus Bradley's defense wants to play a ton of cover three, doesn't blitz a ton, plays a ton of dime. The only thing is like, so Gus Bradley's defense, theoretically, is the best case scenario for Jonathan Abram. If he just plays in the box, Mm -hmm. in that, that is like, where everyone would say his best role is uh, for them. So, like, and that would be where you'd want to play Trayvon Morrig too. So, Trash, it's not going to happen. Yeah, I think <laughs> he did this before the Gus Bradley hire. But yeah, yeah, fair. But, uh, but I'm just saying, like, that, that to I think me. They, I think they played Jonathan Abram at free safety in that defense for the content, <laughs> for the content alone. Dude, if you have him roam in the middle of the field, they're just going to be, like, the most post. They're just going to get <laughs> straight. I mean... Tyreek Hill is going to go for a thousand yards against them next year, if that's the case. Here's the take on Gus Bradley, and he said it in his first presser with the team: "Got to build in the defense, our defensive line. Sorry, got to build up the yeah. defensive line because he does not blitz a lot. Over the past four years, he's blitzed at the lowest rate, sixteen percent, four percent lower than any team in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And he did that because what? Melvin Ingram, Joey Bosa. I mean, he had a very good pass rush. The Las Vegas Raiders need that, and they needed that overnight. Here's what's going to happen: they are going to break the bank." for some of these defensive linemen available in free agency, and they're Bud. the wrong ones. Shaquille Barrett, Bud Dupree, Leonard Williams, Dalvin Tomlinson. No guys that you really want to be breaking the bank for, but they're going to force I think, force it, I think, to try and make Gus Bradley's defense work. And I don't think Bud Dupree, as your number one pass rusher, opposite of a combination of Max Crosby, Cleveland Furl, and Arden Key, is going to have the same success as he did in uh, Blitzburg. Leonard Williams has never been a legitimate pass rusher on the interior, always a run defender first. Of those guys that I like, it's probably Dalvin Tomlinson because they need a they need a big dude down low that can actually defend the run. That isn't what Jonathan Hankins, who they've had in recent years. Yeah, they are still bad along the defensive line. But I think, I think they're going to the try draft. and get better very quickly, and it's the wrong free agent class yeah. to do it. I think this is the draft to do it though. Like the edge class is pretty deep. Like I, that's where I would be looking if I'm Las Vegas. How unfortunate is that to take Cleveland Farrell, Arden Key, Max Crosby, Maurice Hurst. Sign fucking Malik Collins and still be crying for help, desperado. Yeah, for defensive line help. That is a that is not good, as some would say. All right, last pick here, and then we'll finish the pod. Elijah Moore, the Ole Miss slot receiver, who I need to go back and watch because I've seen him in two first round mock drafts now, and I think originally smaller slot type that had a lot of scheme production at Ole Miss with a very good quarterback in Matt Corral who played really well this year. I need to go back and watch and see see him against single coverage, see how he's getting open because. Now Anthony Trash is on board with him. He was talking to me about, I think some of his analysis is good. Baltimore doesn't need like this big possession type alpha 
because you, like Lamar Jackson thrown to the receiver's leverage and one-on-one with a guy who's not creating a ton of separation probably isn't the move. He needs guys that consistently get open. And if Elijah Moore can do that over the middle of the field, I think that's big for him. I disagree. Really? Still. I I think he needs... I mean, he throws to Mark Andrews because like where he throws over the middle of the field, the catch radius matters a lot. Mm-hmm. That's the routes he likes to throw. Elijah Moore, not a catch radius guy over the middle of the field. If I'm looking for a slot receiver in that Baltimore Ravens offense, I think that's why they drafted Miles Boykin. Like I think they want someone who has... They drafted... Marquise Brown to be the deep threat, to be the guy that stretches the field. And like, yes, he's been productive, but Lamar's also missed him a lot down the football field. Like that's they need not a consistent they slot need guy. The, they need the guy who will rack in stuff over the middle of the field because that is where that offense thrives. So they either need what Miles Boykin was supposed to be, or maybe what Willie Sneed, a combination of what they've tried to make Willie Sneed and Seth Roberts in the slot over the past few years. They need Cal Pitts, is what they need. I love the Kyle Pitts pick. We've talked about this before. They're not going to get him. It's too late. But I do think I like the Kyle Pitts pick to Baltimore. If they could fling it. Fling it? Swing it? Either way. All right. Finishing the podcast with this. We are getting a ton of questions for the mailbag episode. We record the mailbag episode tomorrow at 2. We are going to answer the questions left in our podcast reviews on Apple first. Then we're going to answer the questions we found in the YouTube videos of the past two days. Then we're going to answer the questions on Twitter. We're not going to be able to get to all of them. So if you want to make sure your question gets answered, go to Apple Podcasts, rate and review the podcast. If you can't do that, go to YouTube. That's the second tier. Then after that, it is the tweet that you're going to send out today or tomorrow about an AMA for the Friday podcast. We are excited, though, because there's a ton of good questions. Yeah. And we really appreciate all the questions that have come in. It's going to be some really, really good content. going to start growing. It was what, like 45 minutes. It might be that one might be well over an hour here. That soon. one might be a long one. And it's exciting because I do think that questions matter and drastic because there's so many things that can happen and so many different ways you can build a roster. I think that's going to be an exciting time. Really, really looking forward to the yeah, mailbag episode. Like kind of what I just said there about Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle. Like I can I can rank Jalen Waddle ahead of Devontae Smith, but for the Eagles, you like I said, you will want Devontae Smith over Jalen Waddle. Like they're they're every team and what their needs are are unique and that's why they're gonna have unique draft boards. Ours and my what I'm saying and my rankings are kind of just like throwing out prospects throwing out talent out into the ether which is realistically not how it works and that's mm-hmm. why it's a difficult job to do on the outside looking Dude, in terms of accurately hey pity uh, you i know man. thank oh, you for your service what'd you say quinn thank you for your service no thank you for uh, your service i would agree with quinn hey. like honestly you, the, <laughs> bear that cross man it, it, it's a burden obviously I, I know. i'm sorry that you have to do it if you ever need like extra breaks or anything let me know man because I know you're going through it right now. Dry January is probably hitting different too. How's that going, by the way? It's actually been really good. Really good? Nice. I wake up every day and that's the best I feel all day. I might do a dry Feb for coffee. The shortest month. Yeah, How do you feel about a coffee dry? No, There's I would no never way I actually. Could do that. I don't think I could do that. I mean, I would be housing energy drinks. Fair enough. Fair which enough. Is like wor- way worse. Or smelling salts. I can pivot from coffee to smelling salts for Feb. We'll think about it. All right, that's going to do it for two for one drafts. Remember, mailbag episode, rate, review the podcast. If we don't give them, Tomorrow, we'll get them on the next podcast if you do rate and review the podcast. Until next time, Austin Gale, Mike Brennan, 2 for 1 Jackson.